Hello, and welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency, devoted to promoting musicians and authors worldwide. Call us today at 941-877-1552 to start your free publicity evaluation. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. Please welcome the host of Interviewing the Legends, music journalist, author, and entrepreneur, Ray Shasho. Once again, everyone, I'm your host, Ray Shasho. Welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends on BBS Radio TV, brought to you by the Rockstar Chronicles Series 1, my new book featuring over 45 intimate conversations with the greatest music legends the world will ever know. It's available now at bookbaby.com and amazon.com. Well, when sax player Emilio Castillo put together the band that would evolve into Tower of Power in 1968, he had no grand expectations. They were just hoping to get enough to play the Fillmore, Castillo said. I started the band in Fremont at John F. Kennedy High with my brother Jack, who was the original drummer. The band moved up to Oakland and took off, packing clubs with their horn-driven sound. Oakland is our sound, Castillo said. I always say you can take the boy out of Oakland, but you can't take Oakland out of the boy. Looking back on the band's history, Castillo said he's satisfied with what they've accomplished. So am I. We're not a band that reinvents itself every time we go into the studio. We sound like Tower of Power, and there's nothing we can do about it. At first, I thought it was a curse, but as we kept evolving, I realized it was a blessing. We kept chipping away at the sculpture we were creating. The aim is to arrive at a masterpiece. You have to tell us if we succeeded. The group's latest release is Tower of Power, 50th anniversary, 50 years of funk and soul, live at the Fox Theater. Uh, It captures Tower of Power's story career with no holds barred, victory laps, concerts in Oakland, California on June 1st and 2nd of 2018, performing their full spectrum of life-affirming funk and soul hits. It's available as a three-LP set, two-CD, one-DVD package, standalone DV, uh, and digital audio configuration. These historic performances include special guest Lenny Pickett, who is the musical director of Saturday Night Live band, keyboardist Chester Thompson from Santana, guitarist Bruce Conti, and former vocalist Ray Green, who shows off his trombone prowess. Tower of Power's 50th anniversary is available now at Amazon.com. Please welcome to Interviewing the Legends, second tenor sax, composer, vocalist, and founder of the legendary soul funk R&B jazz group, Tower of Power, Amelia Castillo, to Interviewing the Legends. Hello, Emilio. Hey, Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? Very good. You know, me and you have kind of a similar heritage. Um, you're Mexican and Greek, correct? Yes. And I'm Cuban Syrian, so that's kind of kind of close. <laughs> Syria is close to Greece. Parallel mode. <laughs> yeah, really, man. Do you speak Spanish? I don't. I don't speak Greek either. <laughs> that's because you were born here. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I, know all, I know all the dirty words on both sides, but me too. Me too. That's about it. <laughs> I went up to um, uh, Ed Guzman once from Rare Earth. He was a Congo player from Rare Earth. Yeah. And he looked he looked 100% Spanish. You know, I went up to him and started talking to him in Spanish. He said, hey, man, stop. I'm going to stop you right there. I don't speak Spanish, dude. <laughs> and I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> well, that's because he's from Detroit. And that's where I'm from. Man. Exactly. In the 50s in Detroit, man, it was about you're raising your kids to be Americans. You know? <laughs> yeah, so. I, I regret it. I wish I spoke Spanish. Did, did your parents speak uh, Spanish and, and Greek in the house? 
not in the house. No. Like my, you know, if we, if my dad's brothers came over, or you know, like that, they would speak Spanish. But uh, no, they didn't speak it in the house at all. Well, see, I, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up with my abuela, my tios in the house, and I should be speaking fluent. But I'm like you. I I fought it when I was a kid, and I'm I'm regretting it now. <laughs> yeah. I I tell you, um, you guys have had such a great career, and um, who were some of your early influences? I know you mentioned Roger Collins, the singer Roger Collins, as one of them who did She's Looking Good and uh, You Sexy Sugar Plum. I remember those tunes. Um, who are some of the other influences you had growing up? Um, in the Bay Area, uh, like Roger Collins, there was Freddie Hughes. Okay. A song called Send My Baby Back. And actually the guy that wrote that song, uh, Lonnie Hewitt, we became friendly with him when we first started writing songs. And he was a well-known songwriter and, uh, and he had a he had a hit as well, like Star Eyes or something like that. Right. And then, and then there was also uh, who was I going to say? Well, Jesse, Mister Soul, James. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were you know uh, Oakland, Oakland soul stars. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, my main influences, you know, obviously James Brown was very very influential. We really did a lot of uh, Stax Volt, a lot of Otis Redding and Sam mm-hmm. Day. And we also did a lot of uh, Howard Tate. I don't know if you're familiar with Howard Tate, but sure. it was produced by Jerry Ragavoy out of New York. And uh, if you listen to his records, big horn section, but the baritone sax is really loud in the mix. Right. Pattern our horn sound after that. You know, I always wonder, how do you put together a band like yours? Um, how do you decide which part is going where? There's, it's such a big band, and I guess it could be so intricate with so many horns in there. How, how did you put that together? You know, that's something I started doing when I was very young, probably not quite 17 years old. Right. Um, I saw this band called The Spiders. They were excellent, and they had three horns, and I hired a trumpet player the next day. And, and I just started, you know, I, I had taken some... Uh, Theory lessons, music theory lessons. Really? Yeah, private. The bass player from Dave Brubeck. Right. He gave me not a lot, but several. And I kind of took that knowledge of harmony and time, and and I used it in the band. Everything that I learned about music, I always did it hands-on with the band. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, I'm a very mediocre sax player. I don't play keys really great. I don't play guitar really great. I only use them to write on. Right. My main instrument is the band. I know how to harmonize vocals and harmonize horn parts and you know, come up with unique rhythms and, and come up with uh, guitar parts and bass parts that kind of go in there like a fabric. And that's kind of my forte. That's not easy to do. You know, that's, that's, there's not many band leaders, you know, well, like that. Easier. You know, when you started, you know, 16 years old and you're 50, and you're 70 years old now. It does get easier. <laughs> yeah, some of the great band leaders. And you know, I always, I think, it, you know, Doc Severinsen, you know, who had a great band. And, of course, uh, Buddy Rich. You know, you, you must have know, known Buddy, huh, through the years. I didn't know him. Uh, mm-hmm. I, had, I had met uh, Doc Severinsen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a big band uh, fan, to tell you the truth. Man. Really? My thing has always been vocalists. Mm-hmm. And songs. Okay. Uh, like my, when I grew up as a kid, my my I lived in Detroit till I was eleven. Right. My parents were playing Dinah Washington, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, The Platters, Bill Doggett, Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. And I dug songs and I dug singers. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, that's what I live for. Even yesterday, I'm driving around in my car. I got Dionne Warwick's greatest hit. Sure. Sure. Marbling at Burt Bacharach's writing style. And mind you, I've studied him for years. For Bacharach. And I can still listen to it and learn as I go. You know? Yeah. I've had Dion work on the show. I asked her, I says, how do you take care of your voice? I, I guess you don't smoke. He says, hell no. I've been smoking since I was a teenager and I haven't stopped. So that surprised me. <laughs> you need animal, that one. Yeah, exactly. 
another band I think you mentioned is a um, uh, a band that you really admire, Sly and the Family Stone, which I did as well. You know, they were they were tremendous. I had Greg, I had Greg on the show, Greg Arico, and yeah. I, I know Bill Lorden. You know, two guys that were in the in the band. Yeah, I remember Bill. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah so we had the unique opportunity of watching Sly before mm-hmm. he ever made a record or before wow. he released one anyway. Uh, yeah, he played at a local club right near our house, and we were underage. We were 16, but we could <laughs> go there anyway on the weekends, and we'd go around the back, mm-hmm. climb over this cyclone fence, and go through the pool area, and go in the back of the club. Mm-hmm. We watched Sly from 9 o'clock to 6 in the morning. Wow. And then they served free breakfast. Really? Yeah. French Very is cool. Frenchie's the name that every famous act in the world. And we uh, wanted to play in there uh, years later. Was Sly a DJ as well? He was a DJ first yeah. on KSOL, K-Soul Radio. Okay. Then uh, he took a little sabbatical, came back and did another stint at KDIA, which was hmm. a bigger uh, soul station. You know. Yeah. And he was also a record producer. He produced the Bo Brummels. I did not know that. Yeah, he, he produced Laugh, Laugh, and uh-huh. uh, Just a Little, all those Bo Brummels hits. Wow. He produced those for Autumn Records. Yeah, I I love Sly and the band. You know that, you know that the, to me they're like the Beatles of funk. You know they really are. Uh, Summer of Soul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I saw it. That's on. Yeah, I was invited to the premiere here in Phoenix. Is that right? I didn't know that Sly was going to be in there. I was like, <laughs> oh man, this is. It just took me back to when I was a kid because I know I watch him every weekend. You know, you grew up in Detroit. I grew up in D.C. So we kind of had a similar. Yeah. You know, music to R and B was huge in DC as well, and soul and soul music. Yeah, yeah. I was only there till I was eleven. I really didn't get into music until mm-hmm. I got to the Bay Area. You know, right? And uh, but you know, as a kid, I got there when I was eleven, and uh, you know, no friends. You know, I'm new, right? And so the radio became my friend. And right at the time I got there, which is like sixty two, sixty three, Motown music started taken off, you know, right. so I'd be listening to the radio and, you know, missing Detroit and my friends there. And uh, that's why I say I, I love songs, you know, all those Motown tunes. And plus all those songs by uh, Lieber and Stoller and, uh, uh, you know, Carol King and Jerry mm-hmm. and all those Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheeler, right. all those New York uh, <clears throat> songs from Broadway. What was that 1650 Broadway? That building? Right, right. All those writers were there. and I loved all those songs. I always thought the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should have been in Detroit. You know, there's more music coming out of Detroit than Cleveland. I mean, you had the, the Rock and Roll Garage bands. You had you know, the thing about Cleveland is they say that's where Rock and Roll started because of uh, what's his name, the DJ. Uh, r- right, right. I forget his name, but uh, yeah, he was the one that played the first Rock and Roll record, supposedly. You know. Yeah, but all, the great music came out of Detroit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you think about it, and not just Motown. I mean, great rock and roll. Came out. Right. You know, so yeah, I agree with you. But. Yeah. Grand Funk Railroad, MC5, you know, Joan, I mean, um, Susie Quattro, you know. Got, yeah. It, it, it's a Ted Nugent, you know, a lot of great bands. You got a lot of um, tours coming. You got a big tour coming up. And I wanted to mention um, Too Short with Top. On August 29th, it's uh, Stern Grove in the Bay. That's kind of a, a festival, isn't it? Well, actually, it's too short in T.O.P. Oh, T.O.P., okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> On I paper, it looks like Tom. <laughs> our, man, our new manager is friends with Too Short. And he, uh, oh, okay. he called me up, you know, and he says, uh, hey, uh, I want to run something by you. I go, yeah, okay. And he says, what do you think about having Too Short open for you at Stern Grove? Which is a right. And I don't really know that much about Stern Grove. I mean, about mm-hmm. uh, Too Short. So I said, uh, I don't know. Will he fill seats? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, he's from Oakland. You know, he's the biggest rapper. There you go. I go, uh, yeah, why would I have a problem with that? He goes, well, he's a little explicit. <laughs> and I go, and what do you think I am, a prude? <laughs> I go, all I care about is a business, man. You know, exactly. it's going to be a great show. Bring him on. And uh so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's many days. Uh, Joan Jett's going to be there. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. 
they're going to be there, I think, August 1st. Thundercat, another band that's going to be there. Uh, you guys are going to be there August 29th, I believe. Yeah, we're the closing. Uh, you're, you're the closing, yeah. Well, the big picnic. <laughs> yeah, big picnic. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how I got interested in Tower of Power. I, I saw you guys way back when with Santana opening up uh, 1973 in Meriwether Post Pavilion. That's yeah. when I first saw you guys. But you know who got me intrigued in the band? Lenny and his dance moves. Lenny Pickett. Lenny Pickett. Because we also had Lenny Williams. But yeah. Lenny okay. Pickett. Yeah, and I'll tell you a funny story about that. When okay. Lenny, you know, Lenny used to, before he came in the band, he would be out in the audience dancing to our music. We have we had a song down to the nightclub, which had this little extra snap that kind of weirded the time out. Right. One right. guy out there dancing that could dance and do the snap and keep going and stay right in time, you know. And so I thought of him, you know, this guy's good rhythm, good dancer, play, right. bring him in the band. But the guy we had before him was really, uh, he was well known for his stage presence, mm-hmm. Mesquite. And uh, so we bring in Lenny, and Lenny's up there, and he's burning it down when he's soloing and all that. But he's kind of motionless. And I said, Lenny, you know, Skip was a big star when it comes to, you know, live gigs. I go, right. you need to dance. And I go, when you dance, it needs to be flamboyant so that the guy in the 50th row <clears throat> can see you. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like the next night he starts flailing away and the crowd goes nuts. Next <laughs> thing I know, he shows up with a patchwork outfit out of right. outfits. You know, and he starts wearing these wild out. I go, yeah, now you got it, man. Then he started making all these custom-made tuxedos. (laughs) He became quite a star, man, I tell you. I always wondered about that, if that was intentional or planned. And I guess now I know it's your your fault. (laughs) Not just me, because he also was mentored by Jerry Martini. Oh, really? Who's a sax player from Sly and the Family Stone. Right. They used to dig. Dressed. Yeah, exactly. They were always dressed wild, you know. Yeah. And I think Jerry put a little bug in his ear, too. Yeah. He was cool. I loved the way he was. He danced. It, it was kind of like your trademark. You know, the band's kind of trademark when you guys yeah, did you it. You see our, our DVD for the 50-year anniversary. Yeah. He's up there dancing. Away. Is he? Yeah. Especially with uh, What is Hip, you know. that's that's he, he goes crazy on that song. What is Hip and Squid Cakes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the new album. Um, 50th anniversary, 50 years of funk and soul, live in Oakland. What, what can you tell me about it? it? Was it was done recorded in 2018, before the pandemic, so you got it out in time. <laughs> uh, got well, some good music know, on there. Uh, we knew that we were going to be celebrating 50 years. We had just right. completed two other CDs. Mm-hmm. One was called Soul Side of Town. Right. We followed that up. Uh, Right before we did that concert, actually, uh, with Step Up. And uh, and then we went and we played the 50-year anniversary at the Fox. Right. Because we augmented the band. So we brought in Lenny Pickett. We had the extra tenor sax. We brought in Ray Green, who's a fabulous trombone player. Mm-hmm. So we had seven horns, you know. We had Chester Thompson play on yeah. all night. So we had two two excellent keyboard players. Our guy is Roger Smith. Fabulous. And then we had Bruce Conti play a few songs. He played right. Squib Cakes and uh, What Is Hip and uh, I, I think maybe So Very Hard to Go. Mm-hmm. Paco Prestia came and played. We had, it was right at the time we just pulled Rocco off the road because he was mm-hmm. having health issues. But he came yeah. in, played four songs, and then we had two extra background singers. You know, Ray Green, who played trombone, by that point he was singing lead for Santana. But he took the place of the former lead singer, who was mm-hmm. Tony Lindsay. We brought him right. in to sing backgrounds. <laughs> so we had two Santana lead singers in the band. And then we had my uh, my trumpet player, Sal Cracciolo, his wife, mm-hmm. Melanie Cracciolo Jackson. Excellent session singer. Mm-hmm. Just excellent. I used her on all three records. And so we had, you know, those two extra backgrounds. So the backgrounds were just fat, you know. And then we had a 10-piece uh, string section. Yeah, it's your first time for us, and we just love that. You know, is, is the band officially ten members right now? Yeah, yeah. and it has yeah. been forever. Yeah, how do you how do you guys afford it? I mean, I always hear musicians say, you know, we got to 
it's very expensive to go on the road with a big band. It, how, how do you guys do it? How do you manage? Well, you know, it's a logistical nightmare, and we have a yeah. difficult science. Right. Uh, we've been doing it so long, you know, we know how to go lean and mean. And, uh, but, you know, we're not traveling like the high price spread. You know, we're not mm-hmm. in Roses where each guy's got his own bus, you know. Right. We're all piled on the bus together. But, you know what, we're close. We love each other. Sure. And, uh, we've been doing this a long time. And uh, we do manage to stay in very nice hotels and, uh, get, you know, good gigs, eat a lot of great food. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we got it down to a science. Man, I love horns. You know, that, that's real music. That's what we're lacking today. You know, if you didn't have the legends like you guys, I don't know what we'd have a lot of auto tune, I guess. <laughs> I was going to tell you when I heard the name of your show, uh, you know, back in the early 80s, they were, they were saying in print, mm-hmm. Tower Power's music will never, ever be popular again. This yeah, right. And they said, <laughs> a bunch of dinosaurs yeah and so you know i did a bunch of recording then and nobody would sign it 10 years later i released it i called it dinosaur tracks <laughs> and then it was like uh you know after they called us dinosaurs it was about five years later we were our horn section was touring with huey lewis and tower of power was out there right. once in a while opening for them or doing midnight shows after mm-hmm. that they would sit in and all of a sudden the retro thing happened Right. Mm-hmm. It was Robert Cray and Bonnie Raitt and you know, all those kind of acts. And they started saying retro. And they said, so did you ever think that, you know, your music would be so popular again now that retro is in? And I would tell them then, I still tell them today. I never even think about it. Right. Think right. About what's popular, what you call it. I never think about it at all. But we went yeah. from being a dinosaur to a legend. And I don't even remember when it happened. Yeah. You, uh, you guys never sold out, which was very important. You know, you, you stuck to your guns all these years. Well, what happened is we tried to sell out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the record company urged us, you know, we want you to try of some, you know, some of these other bands. Yeah. You know, then we can get your airplane. And so we tried. If you listen to those CBS records, the last two of them, <laughs> we're trying to sound like these other bands that are on the radio, but it always sounded like us, only a bastard yeah. version, you know? And so yeah. finally, when, when all the record companies dried up and they thought of us as dinosaurs, I told the guys, they go, you know what? Let's just go back to the way we do it. And as soon yeah. as we did that, everything got better. You know, when we play yeah. the music the way we want to do it, the fans love it. And uh, and what we realized, we can't do nothing else, man. It's sure, really sure. You know, So Very Hard to Go. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. You know, it's a big hit on Top 40 Radio. You know, it's a mainstay on top forty. Uh, did you did you ever try to duplicate that? You know, and have a, a commercial hit like that, something similar that was very R and B but very crossover. You know, I uh, I write songs. It's kind of like fishing. Mm-hmm. You cast out, and you get in, the middle <laughs> and then you reel it in. It might be a chorus. It might be a rhythm. It might yeah. be a chord progression. You know, it could be a lyric, but you just reel it in. And so I don't, I don't sit down and go, I'm going to write a, a hit. Oh, up to silver. <laughs> I don't do that. You know, I mm-hmm. just, I just write them and uh, some of them fly. Some of them, we don't even try, but uh, I still got them. What an incredible tune though. You know, I could listen to that forever. I love that song. When I first heard it, I, I said, that's Tower of Power? Really? <laughs> you know? When I wrote the song, I remember I called my manager in L.A., Ron Barnett. Uh-huh. I go, hey, Ron. I go, we wrote a hit. And he goes, he starts laughing. You know, I go, no, I'm serious. <laughs> he goes, yeah, sure. I go, no, listen. And I played it for him over the phone. <laughs> and he goes, damn, I think you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's pretty obvious. <laughs> um, Lenny Williams. He made it big, didn't he? <laughs> as a as a solo artist, he does quite well. Yeah, he just yeah. the other day he's going to come and see us at the Hollywood Bowl. Right. Yeah. Would you, would you think he's he's probably the most popular uh, singer in the group over the years, or what do you think? Well, he's saying the biggest hits. So right. You know, yeah. Although Rick Stevens sing "You're Still a Young Man," which is mm-hmm. a endless hit for us, but yeah, Lenny. Yeah, I would say he's the you know, the. The most famous 
of all our singers, and he made the biggest uh, mark, you know. He, uh, you know, when I let go of Rick Stevens, we had already cut all those songs on the Tower of Power album. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I had already asked Lenny to come in three times. And I finally, I called him up and said, look, man, I'm getting another singer. So if you don't come in, I'm just going to get somebody else. Right. And he rolled over in bed and said to his wife, Pearl, I think he's serious this time. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I brought him in, but he didn't know none of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. uh, But we needed to get the record out. We had already been recording for a long time. It was all finished. We just needed the vocals. And I, when I wrote so very hard to go, I had his voice in mind Mm because I had been writing with him. Exactly. So, uh, I said, let's just record so very hard to go. We'll put it out as a single, and that'll buy us some time. We can finish learning all the other songs. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And Len- Lenny did "Cause I Love You." He did "Choosing You." Um, you know, he, he did so many. You know, he, he's got a following. He still has a following, I guess. He does quite well. Yeah. How were you guys in the disco area? Were you guys that was popular? Our- no. You, you know, I would have thought you would be popular. Well, you know, we never really, you, you, you know what that beat is? I know. Yeah. We used to call that pea soup. You know, pea soup, pea soup. Yeah. You yeah. never pea soup. You, know? <laughs> you never pea soup. Sure. Right. You know, but, uh, <laughs> but that was the time I was telling you about where the record company is trying to go, you know, right. we do a Motown hit like so-and-so did. And so <clears> we did Nowhere to Run, you know, mm-hmm. bastardized version, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of bands but not too many bands c- could cope with the disco era and and they they lost their steam you know and they were non-existent but guys like uh dr hook you know dennis lacourier yeah, they fit in right you know and i talked to dennis he said they were broke they needed money so they had no choice you know and even kiss did a he, they did one disco song back at, back in that time you know but you guys were more capable than those guys, you know. You you had all the firepower. More capable but less willing. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done it very easily. I, I know. I know what you I know what you mean. You didn't want to We did sing. another song, Rock Baby, that was, you know, supposedly gonna be our big disco hit. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was good, but it just sounded too much like Tower of Power, man. Yeah. It sounded like Giorgio Moroder, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> You didn't want to sound like chic, <laughs> and I have a lot of admiration for Nile Rogers, but yeah, no, I didn't. No, you know what? <laughs> you you guys did a lot of cool cover tunes too. Me and Mrs. Jones, that that was you guys did a great version of that. Yeah, that came out very good. Yeah, yeah. very proud of that record. And what's so awesome about you guys? You got a band that's been established for years, and other people want your band. And you've done that many, many times. You played on other people's records and, you know. Well, mostly the horns, you know. Uh, right. Although we did the whole band with Jacob Collier a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. And that came out. But, uh, yeah, the horns, we played with everybody from, you know, Bonnie Raitt, Santana, Neil Diamond to P. Diddy. You know, I mean, Yeah, that's incredible. We did Pure Prairie League. We did wow. Poison and... Uh, Poison? <laughs> you know. Yeah, I got to hear that one. We did PIL, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just had um, a couple of days ago, um, Binky Womack, who's a nephew of Bobby Womack. Uh, yeah. You remember Bobby Womack. I think he, didn't you guys do something with Bobby Womack? Womack? Well, uh, I've, I've had a lot of people work for me that worked for him. So right. a lot of stories about Bobby's. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, Binky's carrying on the tradition of the Walmart family. He really is. His music is great, but he's not getting a lot of publicity, a lot of press. And I do my best to try to help help him out, you know, hmm. which is a shame because he's, pre- he's a pure R&B guy. He's the real McCoy, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe it's a, a PR management <clears throat> thing in his... Uh, in his team. I, I don't know because he should be all over the map. You think so? You would think yeah, so. He's, he's the real yeah. dude. I know. I know. But you know, there's a lot of um family members from legends that aren't aren't making it. A lot of the Beatles kin are not doing it. What do you mean like Julian Lennon? 
Well, Julian was big at one time, but now it's, it's he's having a hard time. Yeah, you know anything that I know. Yeah, I mean, Sean is not doing much. No. George Harrison's son is not uh, doing what much. About, uh... Uh, Ringo's son, though, he's a good drummer. Yeah, he's a good drummer. But he's got his dad to help him out, too, you know. Yeah, he's he the... his own, though. He's very good. Yeah. Did you and... see the uh, Paul McCartney thing on Hulu? I didn't see it yet. The new one? And... The new interview? Yeah. With what was that like? It was really good. Man. Was it? Oh, yeah. But I was kind of marveling at Ringo, man. Ringo. Ringo's deep, man. People don't... They think he was some, like, little goofy drummer. Right. Very good drummer. He was a great drummer. I agree with you. And, and I think he still is, probably. You know, I know he always takes out a great band. Yeah. So, who are some of your favorite sax players? Uh, you know, uh, I like Maceo Parker, mm-hmm. uh, Hank Crawford, Arnett Cobb, uh, David Sanborn. David Sanborn, yeah. Michael Brecker. You know, we work with David Sanborn. The horns played with him. Um, he did a tribute. You remember that album by Ray Charles, Genius Meets Soul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do so remember he that. He did a tribute to that record, yeah. Untro. And he asked us if we would accompany him. And uh, we went there and rehearsed for a couple of days and then played Montreux with him and his band. And here's the thing about David Sanborn, man. We're in this little, like, schoolhouse, a little mm-hmm. small building, and it's hot and humid and uncomfortable, and we're going through these charts over and over and over, you know. But the thing is, every time he played, I mean, every single time, even if he was just putting a new read on, and go, he played like he was playing to 50 million people. Really? It was unbelievable. I was like, man, yeah. this guy is seriously committed mm. to his craft. Just wonderful. Unbelievable. You're a great guy, you know. Yeah. I love sax. Uh, some of my favorite guys, I like Mel Collins, you know, he did with King Crimson, Alan Parson. He's, he's played with a lot of people. And of course, Dick Perry from Pink Floyd, the, you know, the guy he plays sax on all the Pink Floyd stuff. I like him a lot too. He's, he's, he's awesome. Um, here's a, here's a, here's an interesting question. What Scott Page did Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, yeah, that was later. Oh, okay. yeah. The, okay. Perry did a lot of the original stuff, you yeah, know, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, our, our horns did a lot of work with Scott Page. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's awesome. Yeah, he's good. He's 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 really good at putting gigs together. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he did like the, the this thing called Rock and Roll Kitchen, and he had huh. uh, Brian Wilson and Jim Keltner on drums and huh. you know, all these incredible musicians, uh, and he did gigs like that different shows and different you know charity events and he calls up he'd pay us really great and we'd be really yeah with these famous musicians he had a real knack for putting it together huh is it does he do is he a kind of a promoter i do i guess well i guess yeah i mean he had that element in him for sure (laughs) yeah that's one thing i've always wanted to do is be a promoter and i still may do it who knows you never know Really? Yeah. There is nothing about that that appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people come up to you know a million times over the years. You know, I want to throw a gig. You know? Yeah, right, right, right. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Find someone else to throw the gig. You just I know. go and enjoy yourself. Yeah. If I could break even, I'll be happy. <laughs> that's what you always say too. <laughs> it's it's hard to make any money. I I, I got I became friends with a guy, um, that promotes shows and he did one here i'm in sarasota in the sarasota tampa bay area and he brought in john mayall and i was helping him to kind of promote it and i did the interviews and i covered the show and everything and i and i went up to him i says do do you have the set list for john mayall so you know i need it for my article so he grabbed me opened the uh the uh, backstage door, the dressing room, and threw me in with John Mayo. I mean, physically threw me in there so I can ask him, you know, for the set list. He was a promoter. He's a promoter. Yeah, he does a lot of blues acts. You know, he promotes a lot of blues acts. So I'm stuck. I'm there with John Mayo just hanging out. It was his birthday, too. It was his 80th birthday at the time. But uh, I said, is that how promoters act? You know, (laughs) I don't know if I could do that, you know. It depends on which day. 
Exactly. Bill Graham could be the nicest cat, and then he could be the fiercest animal you ever met. He's all business, right? All business, basically. Yeah, but I mean, he did things like you know, one night he came in. We were playing. We were playing for his Christmas party. He always hired us for his private Christmas. Really? Party. And uh, and I was there. The guys had all left, and he came in. I was by myself, and he goes, "Hey, just the guy I want to see. Here, sit down." And I thought, man, somebody shot up in the bathroom or something. I'm in trouble. <laughs> he goes, don't say anything. I'm going to tell you something. Don't say anything. And I go, okay. And he says, uh, I know you guys have been struggling. This is what late 70s. Discussion. Right, right, right. And he goes, let's just say I had a good roll of the dice. I'm going to give you this envelope. There's $10,000 in it. Whoa. This is for you. He goes, you can split it with your band. You can give half to the band. Do whatever you want. This is for you. Merry Christmas. And he gave us the 10 grand and then he still paid us for the gig. You know, mm-hmm. I remember the guys all came back after dinner and there was a pool table in the back of the old Waldorf. We were backstage and I threw $10,000 on the pool table. I go, Merry Christmas from Bill Graham, boys. <laughs> <laughs> How but awesome is that? Be really, really sweet, you know? Yeah. But then you're on the wrong side of it when he was in that mood. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you you know, rock and rock and roll and music couldn't exist without guys like Bill Graham. You know, that's what we need today. We need guys like him, the motivators, the pioneers, you know. Major league rock and roll, the way it is today, mm-hmm. would not even be here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're exactly right. hundred percent, man. I, I there was a story with uh, you know, Jerry White Weitraub. Jerry Weitraub, yeah. He had a story about the Colonel, Elvis's manager. And he was very generous. Believe it or not, the colonel was very, very generous and treated Jerry really, really well as money-wise. He he wasn't expecting anything from um, the concessions, you know, the super of Elvis. And he gave him half in cash. He said, really? Really? You're going to give that to me? You know, it's pretty cool. And it'll surprise you, you know. What I know about the colonel, though, is he made his in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Elvis did, too. You know, yeah. at least he he didn't get screwed like so many other guys did. You know, no, I don't think so. There's so many bad stories out there. You, know, you mentioned Elvis. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we recorded our second album in Memphis, right? Bump City. You know, we went there to be with Steve Cropper. You know, Steve Cropper. Oh yeah, definitely. He produced the record. Yeah. So we'd be recording at. The, he was at a new studio. He had left Stacks. He was having a legal battle mm-hmm. with Stewart, and so we're at this place called Trans Maximus. And then we would say, you know, where can we go get some barbecue? You know, and you go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. go over to the rib shack and you get steak and biscuits. You know, and we used to go buy steak and biscuits, go drive up to Graceland, park right in front. Just really? before the, you remember the, the gates with the, yeah. just sure. before that, we park right on the road in front of the rod iron. And we just mm-hmm. eat our steak and biscuits and look in there and go, wonder what he's doing. <laughs> I never forget it, man. <laughs> like we're here in front of his house. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Not just one. We go every night. Every <laughs> night. Place. We get the steak and biscuits and we go to Graceland and eat. Yeah. He <laughs> might be inside playing Tower of Power Ruggers. You never know. <laughs> My favorite drummer of all time, and I've had him on the show several times, hell of a guy, Billy Cobble. Very, I like to see, I like to see Billy play with you guys. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we we see him a lot in Europe, right? These days, uh, yeah. Back in the day, you know, we would see him in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. He showed up uh, a few times at different little festivals that we play over in Europe. And, uh, yeah, just a great guy, great player, great guy. Yeah, I think to me, he's the greatest drummer in the world right now. You know, that's my opinion, but. You right know, li- living, you know, yeah. he, he's incredible. He's incredible. Another guy I, I like with would be, and I don't know if you've ever thought about playing some fusion. How about John McLaughlin? I've been into fusion at all. No, no, huh? I have been. We How about be- funky fusion? <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> funky fusion. You Getting know? closer. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start some uh some new music you know the genres, yeah 
Yeah, some funky music. Now, you mentioned Huey Lewis helped you guys out a lot. Why Why was that? Why did he help you out? What did he do? Well, he was a big fan. And, uh, you know, right when, like, the disco thing happened and we tried to make our little bid and yeah. fail miserably. And then next thing <laughs> you know, we're dried up. It's the beginning of the 80s. And it's like uh, new new wave right. and punk yep. come in. And Cars, all, Sex Pistols. All these and all bands, you know, and they're calling yeah. us. They're saying these guys are dinosaurs, and every yeah. other band like them out there that's been together over five years, they're mm-hmm. all dinosaurs. And it's all about the motels and the cars, right? And Mac and Devo, sure. And, you know, and out of all those bands, I hear about this band, Huey Lewis in the News. Mm-hmm. You know? I was like, that's a cool name. <laughs> and uh, we were playing once again at Bill Graham's Club, the old Waldorf. Yeah, and we had just written all this new material. And we debuted it on the gig. And this guy comes back, good-looking guy, you know, and he says, uh, mm-hmm. hey, man, that set was amazing. God, where did you get those songs? And I go, we wrote them, you know. He says, God, you guys never cease to amaze me. Boy, he goes, you know, and I go, uh, who are you? And he goes, uh, <laughs> my name's Huey. <laughs> Huey. Yeah, you know, back then anyway, you didn't know too many guys named Huey. No, baby Huey. Go, go, Huey Lewis. Oh, because he. Because he kept saying, me and my band, we super dig you guys, man. Mm-hmm. And I go, are you Huey Lewis? Is your band the news? He goes, yeah. I go, I heard about your band. I go, uh, <laughs> that's a cool name. And he goes, man, we're total Tower Power freaks. Yeah. And then we were doing a session at CBS Records in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he comes over to the session. He says, we're right across the hall. We have this song. We have two of them. Mm-hmm. He goes, we think it would be really good with horns. Would you guys consider playing that? I go, sure. So we go over there, and it's Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do, mm-hmm. written by Mike Duke, which sounds like a Bobby Womack Duke. Sure. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And then the other one was Working for a Living. I heard Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do, and I was like, man, these guys are like a soul band. They're mm-hmm. you know. And that started it. We did that session, and then we used to sit in with them. You know, if they came to L.A., we sat in with them. Or if we were somewhere on the road and they were there, we'd go sit in with them. And they loved it when we sat in. So when they really rang the bell with sports, he calls me up and he says, hey, man, would you consider going on the road with us? You know, and I go, on the road? Go, yeah, we're doing a world tour, you know. I go, man, I got the band. Man. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's just about the horns. I got a band. And he goes, I know. He goes, but man, we pay you really well. He goes, you know, I'll do anything you want. I go, <laughs> the idea, man. You publicize my band in every interview at every turn possible, and I will, I will uh, bring the band out to do midnight shows. Mm-hmm. You guys come and sit in because by mm-hmm. then he was coming to sit in a lot too. Right. He used to sing "You're Still a Man" and "Don't Change Horses." This time it's real, you know. Yep. And he said anything you want, man. And uh, and he was a man of his word, man. Mm-hmm. He mentioned us in every interview. And That's awesome. Each guy by himself on stage. Tire Power Horns. He featured Doc out front in the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. He really he really helped resurrect the band. It was great for us. Yeah, I like Huey. Did, did you see him in the Blacklist? Do you ever watch the Blacklist? Yeah. Did you see Huey on the Blacklist? Yeah. <laughs> he was good. He was pretty good. He's a good actor. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> that other one with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. What was that one called? Oh, um, I forgot. And he did the. They, they sang the duet, the Smokey Robinson cruise. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about jazz? Are you are you a jazz fan? I'm not. No, you're not. No. Well, purely uh, R and B, soul, and funk. I wouldn't basically. say purely. Uh, uh-huh. I, I dig. Uh, Allison Cross and Union Station. Okay. Yeah. In the world. Right. I love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of late in my life. I got hip to them. Right. I saw them in the middle of the night one night. I was up in uh, Park City, Utah, and I couldn't sleep. And I had, uh, uh, you know, the PBS station on. And mm-hmm. there was a special with Allison Cross and Union Station. Mm-hmm. I was bowled over. I bought every CD they had. You you guys didn't you guys um, play with the average white band at one time, a couple of gigs or something? We play with them all the time. Do, do you really? 
<laughs> we do like 10, 20 gigs a year. At least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're sort of kind of cutting that out now <laughs> because uh, we got a new manager and our whole, okay. our whole push now is to play with some of these jam bands like Lettuce and uh, right, right. Incident. We got some of those gigs because, okay. you know, we don't want to have this oldies look. You know, we Right, love, right. We love those guys and it makes for a great show because we sell out two nights where, wherever we go. Yeah, so we'll still do a few of those, but uh, yeah, we've done a ton of them. Yeah, they don't want to put you in yacht rock, you know, category. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many bands already there, man. <laughs> I agree with you. You should you should be playing with the the uh, up and coming, the newer bands, young guys. You know that that makes sense, yeah. and they can learn a lot from you guys. Yeah, we'll probably learn something from them too. I I agree. I agree. Emilio, here's a question I ask everybody, and I guess very interesting answers. Um, If you had a Field of Dreams wish, like the movie, to perform, collaborate with anyone from the past or present, who would that be? Sting. Really? Sting, huh? I would like to re-record our song, Holding So Much Oil in the Ground, with a different feel, and have him sing it. And, and, uh, And I actually, he... I met him before a couple of times. Right. He told me that before the police, he had a Tower Power clone band. Hmm. And he said, about that? do only so much oil in the ground and don't right. change horses in the middle of the stream. He goes, those are great songs. And I always say, ever since then, I thought, man, I would love to do that. But it hasn't come to fruition yet. Yeah. Oh, I can see that. He, he, you know, he, he's been playing a lot with uh, Shaggy. Yeah, I saw Shaggy. That. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah, very good. I like Shaggy. You know, I like I like that Jamaican. I had, thing. I had no idea anything about Shaggy. And that yeah, yeah, he was good. Yeah. How about Santana? Are you going to be uh, you know my doing Shaggy, anything with him but... again? With uh, with, I know Carlos. Carlos is playing with Earth, Wind, and Fire here in um, Tampa. There's no reason why he shouldn't be playing with Tower of Power again, right? Um. Well, or is he too old for you guys? <laughs> He might feel guilty for stealing my singer and my organ player. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And my road. (laughs) He borrows a lot from us. But I'll tell you something. He helped us big time when we first started out. He took us on tour when nobody knew who we were. Right. And we were bringing it. We were playing really hot. And we made him play every night, you know. And and I admired him for doing that, you know, because some nights we took it to him, you know. But he, he was in the game, you know. That was a great bill, Santana and Tower of Power. I mean, you guys just mesh so well together. Yeah, it may happen again. Who knows? Yeah, I like to see that happen. Emilio, anything else you need to talk about? You got the tour coming up. And I just want to mention uh, February 15th. Now, this is 2022. You're going to be at Ponte Vedra Concert Hall in Florida. February 17th, you'll be at the Capitol Theater in Clearwater, which is, I don't know, for me, about 20 minutes away. I know all the guys are at the Capitol and Ruth Eckert Hall, so uh, I'll probably be at that gig for sure. And another Florida date, the Plaza Live in Orlando on February 20th. And again, we got to wait till 2022 for those gigs in Florida. I'm just trying to get to August 8th, the first gig. <laughs> Hollywood Bowl, you know, with Dave Koss. I mean, I'm, still in, I'm still in, you know, I'll believe it when I see it mode. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because now they they just reinstituted the mask thing in, in L.A. In L.A., really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because the Foo Fighters were supposed oh, yeah. to do a concert, and one of the guys came down with COVID, <laughs> and uh, now another mask thing is mandatory. Well, our governor doesn't like the mask here in Florida, so uh, I don't think – we have anything to worry about, you know, we're going to continue yeah, but, to, you know, n- not only the mask thing, but now they're talking about this Delta. And, uh, and like, I know uh, I can't handle that stage, again. When I'm on the stage at Hollywood bowl and you know, and we're clicking then I go, okay, it's real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm in, I don't believe it till I see it. Mode. Did you guys play any of those playboy jazz fests? You did those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember that. I think Hugh Hefner was he was there at a lot of those shows, right? Yeah, I think we were we were after the Hugh Hefner thing. You were after Hef? Yeah, okay. Cosby was there. Right. Was MC. And then more recently, uh George Lopez was the MC. Those were good concerts. 
Those are those yeah, are yeah, pretty yeah. cool gigs. Time flying in from Tokyo. Wow, a long flight. We flew in from Tokyo and went from LAX mm -hmm. to the stage at Hollywood Bowl. We man. were weaked as could be. <laughs> but we Talk about jet lag. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> really something. Yeah. But we yeah, but you conquered anyway. You guys are great. I want to mention. Purchase Tower of Power's 50th anniversary, 50 years of funk and soul live at the Fox Theater. It's available now. Uh, you can get it at Amazon.com. I guess you can go to your web, your website as well. Sure. Uh, the, uh, for more information about Emilio Castillo and Tower of Power, visit www.towerofpower.com. Official website. You guys are on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com, official Tower of Power band. You guys are on Twitter, official T.O.P. band, and Instagram, www.instagram.com backslash Tower of Power. And definitely want to thank Fiona Bloom of the Bloom Effect for this wonderful, wonderful interview with Emilio Castillo. Fiona's great. I've been working with Fiona for a long time now. She's I wonderful. call her Queen Fiona. Queen Fiona. I think I'll start calling her that, too. <laughs> Emilio, thank you so much, man, for being on the show today. Uh, we'll check in with you from time to time. Good luck on the tour, man. It's going to start very, very soon. I believe we're going to see it. <laughs> Take care, man. Good luck and, uh, you know, happy touring. <laughs> All right, Rick. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. Take care. We'll see you. Bye-bye now. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Interviewing the Legends. Brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call 941-877-1552 or visit us at publicityworksagency.com. Specializing in author and music artist publicity plans. We shine when we make you shine. Tune in to Interviewing the Legends. Every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio, Station 1.